The Academic Podcast Agency. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Why Tell Stories podcast. The podcast that hopes to celebrate and enjoy as many experiments in audio storytelling as we can get our grubby little ears on. My name's Will Hood. I am a story fanaticist, story lover, podcast producer, and I'm here with Daniel Marcus Clark. Hey, Will, and your grubby little ears. Uh, I'm Daniel. <laughs> I'm a storyteller and story lover. Um, we are here today, we're gathered here today to look at another fantastic experiment in audio storytelling. Um, this piece from slightly later, from the 70s. Um, and it's one that you found, Will, and I must commend you on the, on, the, on the searching out of such a gem of experimental audio storytelling. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, well, actually a friend, a, uh, a new friend of mine, uh, Martin Spinelli, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. I apologise if that's not correct, Martin, if you're listening, uh, introduced me to this. It's called Bells in Europe. Um, and as you say, it's from the 70s, 1973. And it's, it describes itself as a stereophonic documentary. And in essence, it's made by a German radio producer called Peter Leonard Brown. And um, he, I believe, and his sound engineer, Dieter Grossman, made this over 41 days across nine countries. Now, the full edit of this is one hour long. So we're going to cut out some little prize moments um, of about 10, 15 minutes each and play them to you. But it's a fascinating piece. And it's basically, I mean, it's a documentary. It's more of a documentary than anything that we've looked at before. And Peter and his sound recordist have gone across Europe and they've really made what I would call a, a poem, a tone poem, about how human beings interact with the bells that occupy their churches throughout Europe. So uh, tell me what you got from it, Dan, just very quickly before we share it with the listeners. I mean, it, you, you talk about it being a documentary, but in many ways, I think you've nailed it of saying it's a tone poem. It, it doesn't feel like a million miles away from some of the other pieces we've listened to, um, except in its subject matter. I think it's a beautiful, considered, um, creative piece um, that uses sound as a storytelling tool that uses um, sort of very considered poetic text. It's, uh, it's just stunning. It blew me away. It really did. It took me somewhere. And I think there's, there's so much um, to unpack in this one. I, I can't wait to do it. And I can't wait to share this recording with everyone who's listening. It's certainly, very, there's something very beautiful about it, isn't there? And it occupies this odd place in the sense that it is a documentary. Um, but the idea of it, or, or even the observation that this is what happens with these physical materials, the phenomena of, of church bells, essentially, it's a creative act to be able to see that story, because clearly that is something that has gone on and, and is perhaps even still going on. But 
it's unseen by most people. And I find that really intriguing, that the creativity is to see the process that is going on, which is somehow invisible to the everyday eye, or in this case, ear. Well, and, it, and it harks back to the, you know, the, the very simple sentence that the role of the artist is to make the invisible visible. And, and it does that in spades. Mm, or inaudible, audible in this case. I yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we press play and we share this with you, there's this lovely quote where Peter Leonard Brown is quoted as saying, I only write for radio, not for TV, because some things elude the pictorial medium. Sometimes if you see a thing, you don't hear it. I love that. There's something about that which really resonates deeply with what we're trying to do here with this podcast. Totally. And it, and just, I mean, I don't want to give it, I don't want this to be a teaser, but there's a line in the piece, which is the most beautiful bells are the ones you can't hear for sheer happiness and which yet you can never forget. Lovely. Really, yeah. really lovely. Let's listen to it. It's so good. Okay. So I think we're going to do two pieces, but the first one that I've prepared, which seemed apt is the beginning of the piece which is basically the, the making of a bell. See what you think of this. At two in the morning, the first copper ingot was fed into the furnace and more and more down that flaming belly. Together with the tin, 7,500 weight. Bell metal. Bronze. The moment has arrived. The red brew has turned yellowish white. 1,120 degrees. 16 bells will be cast this morning. the birth of a bell. That happens down below, in the ground. The 16 molds are dug in, in front of the furnace. The earth is pressed down tight to prevent the molds cracking under the pressure of the molten metal. There is always silence before the cast. A tense silence. The peasants from the Frisian village, which is to get three of the new bells, take off their hats. A minister is folding his hands to say grace first. It is as it has always been. We are beaten, Allmächtiger Gott, Du Schöpfer aller guten und vollkommenen Gaben, der du den Menschen die Kunst verliehen hast, aus dem Erz der Erde Glocken zu gießen, wir bitten dich um deine Gnade, dass die neuen Glocken, die hier heute gegossen werden, gut gelingen und alle Zeit deine Ehre verkündigen, und deine in Christo Jesu erlöste Gemeinde 
zum Gottesdienst rufen mögen. Amen. Fangen wir in Gottes Namen an. One can only hear the birth of a bell. When reluctant and heavy, the bronze bubbles from the furnace, a blazing mire, crackling through the feeder pipes until it sears its way into the dugging molds so that the air escapes with a hissing sound. is a cry out of metal, invented because it was vital for man to give alarm of danger quicker than he could run, and spread it further than his own voice would carry. Fire, storm, flood, attack, flight. is a parish clerk calling for assemblies, church services, and tolling the time. It announces a wedding, or a christening, or a death. A bell is music. It sings the feasts, glorifies God, and jubilates over peace. is a prostitute. It yells out whatever you wish. Murder, conspiracy, revolution, and execution. The plague, famine, and war. A bell is just matter, copper and tin. And that is its undoing.
in the war year 1940, the Nazi regime coldly gives orders to safeguard the reserves of metal for a long-term conduct of war. All German church bells must be handed over to the armament industry. Copper and tin are strategic metals. Natural resources on German territory are negligible. Hermann Goering's intention, only 10 bells are to be preserved in the whole of Germany. The church authorities secure as a final concession the upkeep of 5%. Total loss, 47,000 bells. Brass cartridges for grenades and machine gun ammunition. Copper for the axle bearings of heavy engines. The aircraft industry has a continuous demand for tin. And the German war machine, that armored colossus, rolls slowly across Europe. The German bells no longer suffice. Poland delivers up bells. Czechoslovakia, Holland, Belgium, France, Italy, Austria, Hungary. 33,000 bells for the German arms industry. silence in Europe is that of the graveyard. Altogether 80,000 bells are missing. In the church towers there often hangs but one bell, the smallest one, the funeral bell. From the small cemetery outside the Hungarian town of Schopron, the funeral bell knells for old Laszlo Bozo, dead for three days. It knells to say that the priest has just left the house of the gravedigger and is now going towards the chapel. The relatives sitting, the friends standing, a coffin decked with gold flowers, burning candles. All over Europe, in every language, this closing scene is the same. Wow. So, obviously, uh, it's a pretty heavy piece, this. And again, just to point out the fact that the actual unedited piece lasts for, I believe it's just under an hour. And so we've cut out that little 10-minute segment to give a sense of how it begins, this laying out of this profound significance and role of this, this thing called a bell that we use in all the ways that he lists to communicate across communities, across people, uh, and the role that it plays in our life and the, and the way that that interacts with warfare. I mean, there's so much, there's such... There's so much to draw upon in that piece. Just beautiful 
beautiful storytelling. You know, like, and, and I mean, by using the term beautiful, I mean sort of exquisitely crafted storytelling, you know, of taking grand themes and then zooming into individuals, of using repetition and rhythm. Um, God, there's so many moments. But the, the first thing I, I, that really struck me mm. about this was that the way that they've constructed it is so musical, you know, that it's that the rhythm of the voice and the use of sound either as a score or punctuation gives the this feeling that it's it's obviously been it's been composed it has I mean? been it's composed yeah so yeah. clearly and it's like the rhythm of the voice at the start and those kind of punctuation of the kind of clangs of metal for the ingots of of different metals falling in it's just it it, f- it feels like a piece of music all the way through, which is, I think, is really yeah. relevant and and kind of consistent across all the pieces that we've that we've been listening to. Yeah, I mean, there's some big and important differences. I mean, a bell is certainly musical in and of itself, isn't it? But there, at least in the piece that we listened to just then, there's no music as such. But the recorded sound from those actual places have been arranged in a very musical way. Totally. But what I find makes it particularly moving and gives it this sense of authenticity is that those sounds are real, right? And I know that sounds like an odd thing to say, but in everything else that we have listened to thus far, the sounds have been synthetic or at least metaphorical in many cases. You know, you think of the last episode's... um, Gordon Jenkins, when we were getting excited about the car horns of um, Mm. New York City and how the orchestra mimicked those. You know, all of that is a very creative act, but there's an understanding there from the audience that actually this is an act of fiction, right? You know, we're creating this for you. But what is so moving about bells in Europe, I think, is that those are the actual sounds, right? Mm. And it lends an authenticity to it, which I think is... um, if you give it the space and time, because it requires quite a lot of concentration, it requires quite a lot from you, this piece. But, you know, especially, I mean, I, the opening scene of the birth of a bell, you know, mm. that beautifully placed dialogue of nobody has ever seen the birth of a bell, you know, unwitnessed by human mm. uh, eyes. I think, to me, it's got the same kind of gravitas that you hear in those... Um, you know, those big universe documentaries, you know, nobody's witnessed the birth of a star, you know, it kind of sets up such an epic sense of these, these things are magical and mystical and the noises, right? You know, the sound that it's coming from the earth, the Mm. fact that those are the real sounds and it's actually happening. And then the, the prayer or the incantation in a language that I don't understand, but you get the solemnity of it right mm. very and very moving but moving because it's because it's real or at least in part because they're the authentic it actually happened that way yeah i mean they are they're extraordinary sounds and he, you know he says at one point one can only hear the birth of a bell and crackling through feeder pipes so they, and and they've what you can hear in that for me as well is the, the kind of the craft the art 
of the sound recordist. And so much of it is about where do you place those microphones? You know, how are you actually capturing that sound? And how are you then treating that sound afterwards? Because there's, there's, you know, there's that beautiful moment where they're talking about the um, the bells. He's listing off the places that have gone to war. And then there's that sound of the furnace as they kind of prepare the bells for, into the guns. And there's just the simple sound mix of it that the, yeah. the, the voice kind of dips down as the furnace comes up. And then it's kind of, it, it's almost, uh, it becomes quite, uh, quite overwhelming. And then it, it's punctuated by that explosion. Yeah. And then it drops down to the kind of the, the sparsity of just the air and the bells playing for the kind of for the funerals. It's, 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 I just, I can't get away from the thing that it feels so musical in mm. its structure, in the way that it's, and I think that's part of why it feels so moving is because it's so considered. You know, it could be dry. It could just be, you know, roving reporter. And, and in many ways, he sounds like a newsreader from, from the sort of 50s. Right, but yeah. But there's, there's a, a sensitivity and a movement between the two, the, between the sound and the, and the voice that just feels, just feels magical. Mm. I mean, it, it's it's a curious no man's land between reportage, as you say, mm. and poetry, isn't it? In that there is something wonderfully plain about it in some sense of I'm reporting the facts as they happen, you know, and it's delivered in that tone and here totally. are the things happening. Yet the combination of it all, and as you say, the the way it's been arranged, there's a language in the edit which is so eloquent and so beautifully expressive. But, I mean, I don't think you can underestimate the power of the script here. It's beautifully no, written. No, it's a poem. It, yeah. It's absolutely a poem. Like, although, you, like you say, it's, it's delivered like a newsreader. You know, and that what is it like? A, the, a bell is a cry out of metal. Mm. You know, a bell is a prostitute. A bell is a prostitute. It yells out whatever you wish: murder, conspiracy, revolution, and execution, plague, famine, and war. Totally. And a, you know, before that, a bell is a cry out of metal, invented because it could travel faster than men could run. And mm. then it goes: a bell is just matter. And that is its undoing. You know, it's just like, it's just a perfect little piece of poetry. Yes, it's, it's very good. They've gone into the on, into the field. They spent 41 days collecting this stuff. It's not just didactically and diegetically kind of spat out the other end. There's been a reflection that's happened during that process that's meant that they've created this thing that's way more than some of its parts for my Yeah. Idea. I wholeheartedly recommend that anybody that's taken by this, anybody that gets the magic, makes the time in their life to listen to the whole piece. It's an hour long. There'll be a link in the show notes. In many ways, I feel slightly guilty about cutting it up like this and presenting it to you. But obviously, um, you know, if we uh, played you an hour piece and then talked about it, the podcast would just keep going and going. I'd like to play one more piece. It's, um, it's eight minutes long. Here it takes you to a wedding in Bavaria. And again, it asks quite a lot of you as an audience this because there'll be a lot of speech in a language that unless you're um, a native speaker of this language, you're not going to understand, right? But the sonic quality of it and also the music in this. I chose this bit because the music is particularly beautiful. Again, what's so interesting to me here is that you've got this amazing use of language and all the ways in which 
the edit is arranged around it. But this music is happening for another purpose, right, of which you are witnessing. And to me, I think that's a really interesting variation on the episodes that have come before where you've understood that somebody is creating this for you. For me, there's an amazing voyeurism to this and that you're having this intimate experience of somebody's wedding, you know, sometime in the early 70s. Uh, and so it's just got this achingly exposed human experience, which is is very tender, very delicate and very vulnerable. I'm going to play it. We'll see you at the other end. See what you think. These are the most joyous bells in Europe, and they are rung by Europe's loftiest musicians at a height of up to 200 feet. They sit in their airy belfries looking down on the rushing throng below and spread their musical blessings upon the town and everyone in it. They can be solemn and gay. They can laugh, console, and amuse, bestowing upon Belgium and the Netherlands even in inclement weather, a radiant heaven.
you cannot hear from sheer happiness, and which yet you can never forget, then it is as it ought to be. A wedding in Upper Bavaria. Ich frage dich, hast du vor Gott dein Gewissen geprüft und bist du frei und ungezwungen hierher gekommen, um mit dieser deiner Braut die Ehe einzugehen? Ja. Bist du gewillt, deine künftige Frau zu lieben, zu achten und ihr die Treue zu halten, bis der Tod euch scheidet? Ja. Maria, ich frage auch dich. Hast du vor Gott dein Gewissen geprüft und bist du frei und ungezwungen hierher gekommen, um mit diesem deinem Bräutigam die Ehe einzugehen? Ja. Bist du gewillt, deinen künftigen Mann zu lieben, zu achten und ihm die Treue zu halten, bis der Tod euch scheidet? Ja. Da ihr also beide zu einer echten christlichen Ehe entschlossen seid, so steckt jetzt einander den Ring der Treue an und sprecht mir nach. Im Namen des Vaters, Im Namen des Vaters und, des Sohnes, und des Sohnes und des Heiligen Geistes, und des Heiligen Geistes trag, diesen Ring trag diesen Ring als Zeichen deiner Treue. Als Zeichen deiner Treue. Im Namen des Vaters im Namen des Vaters und des Sohnes und des Sohnes und des Heiligen Geistes und des Heiligen Geistes trag diesen Ring trag diesen Ring als Zeichen deiner Treue als Zeichen deiner Treue und nun schließt den Bund heiliger Ehe gebt einander die rechte Hand und sprecht mir nach vor Gottes Angesicht vor Gottes Angesicht nehme ich dich Maria nehme ich dich Maria zu meiner Ehefrau. Zu meiner Ehefrau. Vor Gottes Angesicht. Vor Gottes Angesicht. Nehme ich dich, Hirs. Nehme ich dich, Hirs. Zu meinem Ehemann. Zu meinem Ehemann. Im Namen der Kirche bestätige ich den Bund, den ihr jetzt geschlossen habt, und segne ihn im Namen des Vaters und des Sohnes und des Heiligen Geistes. Amen. Amen.
After the Russian Revolution of 1917, there is a death of bells in the Soviet Union. Many are broken up and their bronze is sold to Germany. Because of her needs of copper and tin, Germany had lost almost 50% of her bells during World War I. But there is no money. So the Russian bronze moves on to France. A part of it is bought by the Parisian bell foundry Blanchet. That's something else. It's really, it really is, isn't it? I mean, it's so brutal the way that that cut between that gorgeous choir cut with the shell fire. It, it, it's disturbing, right? You go from the very beautiful human activity to the grotesque. Well, it's just, and it's just at that point in like you're you're fully lulled into it, you know. You're yeah. you're in a kind of different state, and then bang, this kind of harsh reality. I think let's take that moment and talk about it for a second because I think it's something that they do throughout is this thing of shifting perspectives, you know, in the storytelling, going from um, the ethereal into the human, from the light into the dark, and it's something that I'm just I just want to flag that it's going from these kind of big theories into an individual. Mm. And in that moment, we had this extraordinarily human moment, like beyond into the ethereal. The wedding. Oh, so beautiful. The exchange of vows. Yeah, I mean, it's something so vulnerable about that, isn't it? Totally. And then into that ethereal moment where you're kind of holding this majesty, this beauty, into that harshness. It's, It's kind of, it's almost the same device, but being used on the flip that's like something is pulling you out of that moment and pulling you into a new chapter of the story. And Mm. man, it's, you're right. It's brutal. It feels brutal and hard. And strangely for a moment that is so human, like a wedding, it feels incredibly human. It's the best of us, right? I get this sense that it's the best of us. And then this juxtaposition of this is the worst of us. Mm. And the, the central theme of this piece is that actually the common denominator of this is the metal that we use to celebrate and also destroy, yeah. you know, rejoice yeah. and also hate. It's like, it's, it's so epic in its theme. It's difficult to put words to it because their words are, are so profound and so yeah. beautifully chosen that you can't really do it justice, can you? I think you've done a good job. I mean, it feels to me like you've you've summed it up and it's that conflict. It also harks back, I think, to a point in journalism which has been, I don't know if it's been lost, but it's not so normal anymore. You know, growing up, both my parents are journalists and they used to tell these stories of, you know, being put on an assignment where they had between six months and a year to research and write it. For, for one magazine article that would be a Sunday you know, a Sunday kind of double pager and it's six months to a year of someone's life. And this thing of having the time to take that it must have taken and the kind of, like you say, like you were saying when we were listening, the um, the kind of patience to not only record, travel to, capture those moments, 
but also to sift through, edit, compose, put together a piece like this oh, and it's to write a, it. It's, it's extre- a labour must- of love, isn't it? I mean, um, I did mention it at the beginning, but this was made or, or recorded over 41 days across nine countries. So the patience of undertaking that work and the hours of material that they must have recorded um, is crazy, right, to end up with an hour edit. So back back to this principal question of why tell stories. The act of listening to this, to me, seems to be really quite a serious meditation on the state of man. A meditation that it is not uh, generally encouraged or possible mm. to do in a world that is so uh, busy and overstimulated, right? It requires an awful lot from you, this piece. But what it gives back, I think, is, you know, it's a, it's an epic, very, very big piece of artwork. Yeah, and it's, it's a beautifully considered insight into the human condition. Right? In taking that one lens of looking at, we're just looking at bells. We're telling the story of a bell from conception through to melting down and the different facts it takes. What you end up with is, is this incredible portrait of, of all the things that make us wonderful and make us so dysfunctional. Mm. It is it's the so, beauty and the ugly, isn't it? it Seen really through is. the lens of an inanimate construction of metal. I want to talk about this, reintroduce this idea of psychogeography, this idea that spaces are left with or themselves emanate a certain essence, which is the result of the human activity that has happened there. And so it's slightly less about the psychogeography. It's not about the, it's not based in any place really, although we have moments of it. But the experience of us going to those places, you know, as the viewer in 2023, you know, we just witnessed uh, someone's most significant moment, you know, a beautiful moment of human vulnerability, two people being bound together um, in a holy place. 50 plus years ago and the the delicate way in which that's been recorded and captured and held you know i think to be able to um inhabit that now Mm. to me that that is a really special example of I mean, maybe psychogeography is not the word, but there's something unique about that, right? There's, that's mm. not something you experience every day. And I think there's something in the piece, like the, which, you, which you, you know, mentioned at the start, kind of Braun's take on this, that there's some things that are best experienced through sound. And that is clear throughout the piece, you know, right from the moment that you can only hear a bell being created. You can't yeah. see it. And we, and we get to experience those moments that were kind of, previously out of you know out of access to us and then the intimacy of those moments of listening to a wedding taking place which is so it's so much more poignant and intimate by the fact that it's just an audio experience for me i think if we were watching an old bit of videotape it would be you know here's someone's wedding video but the fact that it's just all you hear is the crispness of the of the priest's voice, yes, and the kind of vulnerability and the softness of the bride, you know, it's just the nervousness. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. isn't it? And and it works on 
on different levels as well, doesn't it? Because, okay, let's say that this was happening in 73. Maybe somebody was in the congregation, I don't know, with a Kodak camera or or mm. I don't know what they would have had at that time. But certainly it wasn't made up of a whole group of people holding their smartphone in the air. Mm. Somehow they're more present, even listening to it 50 years later, mm. because of that. You know what I mean? Mm. Where's the, is the role of a good producer or a good sound recordist, right? Or a good engineer is to stay out of the way. You should be invisible. Right. Whilst I agree with you from someone with a, a history in documentary, you know, that have spent, I've, I myself have spent time making long form documentary films. There was one piece in particular that I'm thinking that we shot over six years, right? Which was then condensed down to a 52-minute TV hour. But what was amazing to me at the time and made a big impression on me is that I was present over those six years of making that film. And then to condense it down to 52 minutes, I know that's not real, right? I mean, everybody mm. knows that's not mm. real when you stop to think about it. Six years can't be represented in 52 minutes. Mm. Yet the construction and the putting it together the edit and the meaning which is a creative act right that you've created that was considered by audiences to represent i guess reality in some presumably profounder sense than if they had been made to watch hours and hours mm. of actually what happened during that time and there's something similar going on here Right. In that the construction, the edit, the language of how it's put together is so beautiful and it expresses something more profound than if you had gone yeah. through it in real time. Yeah. And I think it's I totally agree. I mean, that's the power of it. Right. And it, it seems to me that it's this piece. And I think why it's relevant, especially to this this podcast and us, us talking about it now is that it feels like it's been considered both as a story of taking, you know, as you would as a journalist, of taking kind of a starting point and all the fra fractions that come off it and stories. It's, it's just good, good, honestly good journalism. But then also it's been approached as a composer and the way that it's constructed, the way that language is used, the way that sound, like that moment, you know, where we're we're lulled into this, into this kind of breath of the choir and then bang, we're pulled out. All the way through, there's those kind of, those motifs of sound and voice as music. And so it's it's been considered from both angles. And as a consequence, it feels like a really exquisite example of great audio storytelling. Because you yeah. couldn't, it couldn't, you, if, you, if you read that text on its own, it would be one thing. If you listen to those sound recordings on their own, it would be another thing. But the two together just make something else that feels like it could, it could only be audio storytelling. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope that you uh, enjoyed that as much as we did. It's such a great example of the specific and unique joy of audio storytelling and experiments in that. I mean, it truly is. Uh, it feels like a, a very special experiment in that medium. Please do get in touch with us if you like what you're hearing, if you have ideas of what you'd like us to play next or in future episodes. 
You can find us at info at academicpodcastagency.co.uk. If you enjoyed this, please share it. Leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It keeps us going. It's really useful. Next episode, I think we should, you know, this idea of sound as a storytelling tool. Let's continue it. Let's listen to Andrew Sachs' The Revenge. Again from the 70s. We're going to have to cut out little bits, but it's a wordless piece of audio storytelling um, that tells a story. It's it's mind-blowing. I can't wait to share it with you, Will. Okay, it's great. I've not heard that. Uh, right, so meet us back here in the next episode of the Why Tell Stories podcast. That is what we are going to be geeking out about unashamedly. We'd love to have you with us. Um, so until then. See you then. All right. Cheers, Dan. Bye, Cheers, mate. Will. Bye, mate.